Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we've heard yet again the lyrics of your song for our lives. Help us to see the one who, who sang it effortlessly, the one who modeled it perfectly, the one who fulfilled it completely. Jesus, that's who we want. And we want to want him. Spirit, will you make him lovely to our souls? Will you cause us to, to desire him, to find our deepest delight, joy in him? Through Psalm 133. Form us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 133 is a gospel commercial. I own two my pillows, and I can't stand in commercials, but they did their market research. I have some sore back, and they convinced me that I needed it. And it worked. And um, I think they may have both, I, well, I don't actually know all the details of this, but um, it worked. And like any good commercial, they, they help you to see what you need. And they've worked really hard to provide a solution to it so that you might purchase it. You might want it and actually spend yourself to get it. All right. Has anyone had that random person selling a vacuum show up at their door? You ever bought that thing? My parents did. That was real fun. I don't, I, anyway, that's beside the point. Psalm 133 is a gospel commercial. It is written to make us want this unity that has been described. And the, and the big idea this morning, the point of this song taken from verses 1 and 3b is that connection is good. Sounds pretty simple. <laughs> the passage uses the word unity. I'm not necessarily trying to replace it with it, but I, but I think in our culture, unity just has so many, I think we can get confused. And, and I think when we think about connection, it really lands, or at least I'm hoping that it does. So as the psalmist speaks of unity, I'm simply using the word connection here to say that Based on verse 1, and what God says that he's going to do with verse 1, which is to command that verse 1 be true, we must come to the conclusion that connection is good. Your best life is lived next to those who know and follow Jesus. And yet, before we sort of dive into this, um, we, can, we can believe that that's true, Right, We can believe that unity is, is the gift of God to God's people to, to be enjoyed and cherished. And yet we can live with this simultaneous belief. And that's something that is just a part of the water that we swim in. I'm so grateful uh, for our country. And I think that 
the reasons uh, for which we were founded were, were so good. And yet one of the residual effects of this sort of independent spirit, this rugged individualism, mixed with this sort of modern uh, way of being in the world, is that the best you is, is you just becoming your best you, right? So as Christians, we can affirm that we need to be connected to other believers. We actually need to submit to other people and, and hear their stories and, and have them um, be say things to us that may make us feel not so great, but because they love us, we're gonna to listen to them. And yet, there's this whole other thing that we find ourselves in from like all week long, and that is your best life are the choices that you make for yourself. I can't think of anything else to sort of capture this than the image of that colonial flag with the snake facing the front, the viewer. And it says, don't tread on us, me. We live in this sort of confusing reality where we're, we're being shaped to think that the most freeing and fruitful life is, is one that you can determine and be separate from other people. And yet, as God's people, as Elder Matt was just leading us in, is, is, is much more than that. We are a people, not individuals only. And as a result, when we begin to see our life with God as, as something more individualized than it should, two things, I think, begin to happen. We see neighbors as enemies and we see people like in our small groups as competitors instead of allies. We don't see the good things that they bring. We see the, the things that they have that we don't. <laughs> we become jealous or angry. And yet the truth remains that our connected life to each other and Christ alone is our best life. And it's one that God has commanded. So how do we find it? I, I want to look at three, three things. The first is the principle of connection the gift of connection, and the experience of connection. The principle of connection, the gift of connection, and the experience of connection. And then at the end, I'll start, try to do a quick recap with, with a, just a brief moment of application. Let's, let's first look at this principle of connection. In verse 1, um, this phrase, when brothers dwell in unity, is, is, is more woodenly expressed when brothers dwell also together. This is a, almost a direct link uh, to an expression made in Deuteronomy 25. You can look it up. And it is making a reference to um, essentially when, when extended family is living at close quarters. All right? But what I want us to see is that Psalm 133 is praising much more than a family reunion. All right? So it's referent that comes from Deuteronomy 25 that kind of shows up inspired here which was true, obviously, in Deuteronomy 25. The point is that we're not just celebrating an extended family reuniting in Jerusalem to have some wonderful food. But this principle of connection is much deeper, much more broad. As we've learned from multiple preachers this summer, there's this thing called Hebrew, or excuse me, couplets in Hebrew poetry. And it's, we even have it in, in our forms of poetry as well. But we've learned that when, when a Hebrew poet uses sort of two um, somewhat similar phrases or words, the intent is to express the whole or to capture the, the entire thing or to span the gap if they're, if they're antonyms between the two. 
And here we see the words good and pleasant coupled together. And good is expressed objectively. This is how when you say God is good, he is objectively good. He is not evil, right? Good versus evil. And it's held next to the word pleasant, which is a subjective, uh, is a word, it's, it's translated subjectively, and it's more the experience of that goodness. The shorter catechism question number one that we hold together is that what is God's chief end for man? And it's that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. We enjoy him because he is good. Or he, he is a matter of fact, enjoyable God. So what the psalmist is saying is connection or unity. It is just good. God made it and it is good. And it actually feels good. And it actually makes you want it. We look at this brothers and sisters. We can easily add make it it's all the people it's all of those in God's family when this was originally written um, though not today because of Christ but originally written it was written to one people Israel and at this point in their history um, they probably can't trace all the blood lineages of each of the tribes they probably can identify which tribe they're in but but the people of God have grown and so what they're saying is that they're, as they're making their way to Jerusalem isn't they like oh this is my brother and we're we're singing Kumbaya together. What they're, what they're reminding themselves of is that they are spiritual brothers and sisters in God's family. But here's the catch. The story of God's children as brothers and sisters isn't very lovely. The first children that showed up, I've mentioned them before, one of them killed the other one. Uh, Jacob deceived his dad and stole his brother's birthright, his inheritance. Joseph's brothers tried to bury him alive, and then they sold him to a foreign nation. David's family was a mess. Tragically, one of his sons sexually abused one of his daughters, and he didn't do anything about it. Oh, dwell in unity. What the psalmist in this is, is trying to communicate to God's people, again, not that this is where we are, but this is God's intended plan for our lives, that we would actually live like we are what we are. Like we would actually want to become who we've been called. I couldn't help but think about the pictures that many parents have posted of their kids going to school. Uh, first couple of weeks of school. And I can see the siblings next to each other and I can just hear the mom's voice. Act like you love each other. Come on, get close. And it's tender. It's sweet. Wouldn't it be nice if God's people lived with deep connection to each other? You see how it's supposed to begin to pique your soul's interest to want the things of God, what he has in himself. And as we plumb the depths of that, we begin to taste what he lost in Calvary. So the first is the principle of connection. The second uh, thing that I think helps us begin to sort of have our desires reoriented and given a new trajectory is, comes in verse 2. 
this gift of connection. Let me read it one more time. It, or this unity, or this connection, is, is, is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. The psalmist takes a turn. He's described what this is, and this is what it's like. He's going he's to draw a couple pictures. He's going to Bob Ross it for us. Okay, that wasn't a good idea. He's going to show us what this is like. And the place he begins is with Aaron. Who is Aaron? You remember Aaron from, Aaron is Moses' brother. Remember when Moses went to God after God had called him from the burning bush and rescued him and said, I want you to rescue my people. And he's like, God, I can't speak. I have a stutter and a lisp. A king will not listen to me. Can my brother come along? Okay, sure. And he makes it. And then later, as God's people have been rescued, and they've, they've, he's rescued them from um, the evil Egyptians, and he's made his way, and they're at Mount Sinai, and he's, he's created this covenant. He's establishing it. He's giving him his, them his commandments of love. And then he's beginning to set up their entire ecosystem of shared life. And a critical part of it is the role of the priest. Leviticus, the tribe of Levi, Connecting God's people to God himself. So this people begins to talk about Aaron. This was the first high priest. Not just the first priest, though he was. He was the first high priest. And to really get at the gift of connection here, you're like, okay, what is the gift here? We have to consider his role. Psalm, the, the, the original recipients of Psalm 133 did not know Aaron. Like, he was just a part of their oral uh, tradition. And obviously what Moses had, had given through to them. They didn't know him. So how, why were they looking to Aaron to sort of paint a picture of what connectedness and unity looks like in God's people? We got to consider his role. Where was God before as he has his throne room on, on earth before Christ, he was in the tabernacle or what would soon be the temple. But he wasn't just in the tabernacle, right? He was in the holy place. But he wasn't just in the holy place, right? He was in the most holy place, like behind curtain number two. And then he wasn't just in there. He was on the Ark of the Covenant, but he, but he wasn't just there. He was protected by the wings of two of his warrior angels. And his presence wasn't just there. It was on the mercy seat. There was one man that could go there. One time a year and only do what God told him to do. And it was to make atonement for the sins of God's people. The priest represented God's people to God. Moses prefigures this when he goes back up the mountain and he says, God, don't destroy them. You told me that you would keep them forever. I know they've made cows out of gold because they distrust you, but please don't. And he comes back down the mountain and he makes the tablets again. Aaron goes into the Holy of Holies to do what no mortal man can do and only one can do that's been called by God, set apart by God and do only what God tells him to do. And he comes back out. Curtain number one, curtain number two, maybe to the court 
where God's people have gathered the day of atonement and he raises his hands he says Israel you have sinned all year but the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance to you and he give you peace I don't know if people rejoiced when that happened I don't know if they became a puddle of tears I don't know if people were in that space with such anxiety over their sin that when he came out and did that they loved this God who wanted to give them connection and it begins with connection with him this was tremendously formative for God's people they were all connected to God through one man one God with one need. And as forgiveness and mercy were extended based on the blood of an animal, they came together. <laughs> Maybe five minutes, I don't know how long the unity. I mean, we, we've all been to the camp and we come back, yeah, man, I'm gonna be your best friend forever. And then next week comes and I forgot your number. You know, it may have been that fast. But praise God for Jesus. Did Aaron do everything that he was capable of fixing? Of course not. In fact, the other priests, which were many, were, were constantly making sacrifices. Constantly. The reminders of their sin were always before them. And the need for their forgiveness was always, always, always. Hebrews chapter 6, the end of chapter 6 says that Jesus is our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Don't have a whole lot of time to go there, but the whole point is Aaron, Aaron was, he, he, was a, he was a son of Levi. And, and, God, and all of God's priests, I'm going there, all of God's priests he had to be in the line of, of Levi. This was his plan. This is the only people that could be set apart for this job. And yet the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was after the order of Melchizedek. What gives? When you read about the story in Genesis 14 of Abraham has, has rescued his nephew Lot. And he returns to the king priest Melchizedek. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And in return, Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek. And Levi and all of his children who were in Abram's loins, right? The lesser party is now giving to the superior party. And one of the things that the writer of Hebrews is saying, where Aaron's um, work of atoning or representing God's people uh, to God, <laughs> Jesus was in the light of Judah and his and, and the right of his being able to be a, a priest is even superior to that of Aaron. His whole people were lesser than that of king, priest, Melchizedek. And Jesus defeated death. And if you didn't know, that is the greatest power in the cosmos. And with those two things combined, the writer of Hebrews joyfully and tells his people that where Aaron ended, 
The Son of God came not only to be the priest, but the sacrifice to enter behind both curtains, to die behind both curtains, and to be raised and tearing the curtain in half and to say, the Lord bless you and keep you forever. This is the gift of connection. All of humanity's problems result from the alienation from God. Alienation from God produces the disintegration of connection. If we're ever going to have a chance at the horizontal connections of our life with creation, with God, and with ourselves and other people, the alienation part has to be fixed. This is the gift of connection. Last point before application, the experience of connection. He said it's not only like this oil that represents warmth and not only like Aaron who we just talked about his person and his role and how it all points to Jesus all points to Jesus but it's also this experience of dew on Hermon Mount Hermon um, was is a mountain at the edge of current day Lebanon and Syria I think it functions as a winter resort actually Um, but when, when God's people were making their way into the promised land, this mountain was at the very northern reaches of this promised land. And it was actually, it, it continues to be snow-capped most of the year. And uh, it, it's very likely that the, as the snow melts on Mount Hermon, the, the water that melts away become the headwaters of the River Jordan. And and the psalmist is, he's, he's moved beyond this, this tremendous gift that we can hardly comprehend to what this feels like. And he relates it to dew. I'll have to admit, when I, when I think of dew, I think of a wet sleeping bag and like it just doesn't make me feel warm. It like, like makes me feel like I went camping uh, for Boy Scouts and I'm really wet. But if you think about it in terms of their topography and their geography and, and, and all of, of their weather, here are two like opposites. You've got Mount Hermon, which is an actually really tall mountain, uh, 9,000 feet thereabout. It provides, it, it, it provides the gift of water, of refreshment, of life to this small, somewhat minuscule mountain of Mount Zion. Well, this picture of connectedness brings two entirely opposites together. And as Hermon's dew would fall onto Zion, it would be a miracle. And so it is. And it's refreshing. And it's, it, it makes, it's just, some scholars describe it as like this cleanness of the morning. This idea of, of renewed growth. Or as I like to think about it in Pitt County in August, it's that first high pressure system that arrives in about six weeks that tells us that it's not going to be hot forever. This is what it's like. It's like wind in your sails, this connection that you've been made for. And many of you have tasted it. Many of you have it. Others of you are longing for it. And here's where I'll begin to try to recap 
This is a gospel commercial with the intended effect of, of drawing us into something that we would want. Not be forced into, but we have to. John Dutton knew sacramental theology is what he did. He understood what baptism was all about. And then, anyway, mine. Rabbit trail. Um, faith in Christ is inseparable from membership in the church. It's the very fabric of redemption. God never makes private Secret salvation deals with his people. His relationship with us is personal, yes. Intimate, yes. Private, no. There's no Christian either that was on this planet or will be on this planet that is an only child. We are a family. Under Armour should use that bit to create some sort of sports um, excitement around a team. It makes me think about that strength conditioning coach that's trying to like whip up his team. It's like we, we, we know this, but we need to be reminded of this. Our life with Christ is personal indeed, but we're not alone. We're not whisked onto an island when we become Christians. We're brought into the continent like we were islands. And now we're brought into the body, the bride with Jesus and it's beautiful and the attempt of of this true word and gospel commercial in 133 is that you would find it beautiful that you'd actually want it and then we discussed how Jesus himself uh, actually achieves this gift by losing it so that we could have it and then we're reminded almost as the passage ends how this dew sort of rolls down, making its way to everyone. Scholars described the, the process of anointing priests. It wasn't just oil, like as you think of like something to grease and to, and to make, e to move easier. But it also had a, a beautiful scent to it. And I don't know if you've sprayed any perfume or any sort of fragrant lately, but it spreads naturally. Likewise, with this oil that would flow down with this imagery that it makes its way to the people as being connected to God. And this dew that, that makes its way all the way down continues to make its way to people, to us. And then finally, as a, as a way of uh, application, I, I just, I've experienced this from so many of you. But I think as we, some of us are here that, that have this rich connectedness uh, with people at Christ Pres or wherever it might be. And we know, like we quickly resonate with, with a picture of this passage. And others of us are deeply lonely, feeling utterly disconnected. And so where does that leave us? And I, this is just very basic. This is something that you know, that you've shown me and my family in the very short time that we've been here. I've, I've literally felt this. But the next time that like you're either in a community group or you've got some people over to your house, uh, particularly those um, who are believers in Jesus, like what would it be like if, if the mother said, you know, guys, I, um, I just, I'm really exhausted and I feel guilty. Like I see a lot of moms who really want children, or a lot of women that want children, they don't have them. And here I have a couple and they drive me nuts. 
or like I'm really struggling. Y'all, that, that's, how, that's how rich community begins to develop. And it's, it's this principle. Why do you need high priest Jesus? Why do you need him? Those of you that have been in the church for generations, will you share your stories with us? How has high priest Jesus actually given you this? We need to hear it. Students that, think about the student that gets in a community group and is like, look, I, I grew up in church. I'm, I'm really thankful uh, for all the things that I've been taught. But man, I'm really kind of confused by like all sort of like the vitriotic language. Okay, a student probably wouldn't say it that way. But all the ways that like, you hate this person, you hate this person. The way the church has really responded, it's just kind of got me cynical, man. I don't know if I can believe in that kind of a God. These are expressions of unity being forged. If you don't know why you need High King Jesus, I pray the Holy Spirit would begin to help you glimpse that. Because it is from there that we begin to have the connection that we all crave restored. I could go on with examples, and maybe this will be a helpful way to kind of think about this text. How pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the oil coming down on the beard of Aaron, flowing over his head, down his, his robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon that makes its way all the way to little old Mount Zion. And the psalm ends, the Lord commanded it, this blessing, life forevermore. May it be ours. Amen.